0: Your little whiskey decanter has a Santa hat. Yeah, that was the gift. I'm also a Maker's Mark ambassador. Oh, you are. And so they send you a gift every year. That was last year's gift.
1: Hmm. How do you become an ambassador? You just sign up online. (laughs) You don't have to be appointed? No.
2: What does that mean to be a Maker's Mark ambassador? It means that my... It's not unlike
1: being a Unitarian minister. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put internally at your disposal.
2: I was with a Unitarian minister this summer. Oh, nice. Really. He was a pretty chill dude. One thing that he couldn't get over with the Catholic Church, not that he couldn't get over, but he was very curious about, was the closed table kind of deal
1: close table communion yeah mm-hmm. where like
2: how come non-catholics can't receive communion mm. or even or he seemed pretty well educated in the faith and uh he's probably falling away to be honest but he was like how come some catholics can't even receive communion so like not only is it closed table to outsiders but mm-hmm. it's even closed table to some insiders as well mm. i found that to be pretty difficult to like that's one of the the doctrines that I, is more difficult to explain
1: I was just thinking about this the other day, actually. For some reason, I remembered a Facebook photo that I'd seen years ago when I was still on Facebook. Somebody who had gone to somebody else's wedding, but wasn't Catholic. And it was like a picture of people going to communion. And she, the the caption or whatever said, um, If I'm not allowed to have one of those wafers, then I'm going to sit here and take pictures at least. Or something like that. Like some really kind of snarky... Yeah. I mean, ironic comment. I know she didn't mean it like that, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, "Well, if it isn't the fact that you're calling it a wafer, and we believe it's the most sacred object <laughs> in God's physical creation, yeah. then maybe that's explains why." You know, just in a, I mean, practical way. That what does it mean? What would it? What would that do for anyone? If just anybody who believed anything about this thing that we. Hold it so sacred. We're just permitted to do whatever they wanted with it. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: don't know. Just to play a little bit, I definitely, I'm sure there's a lot of people that, like, hold that. But I had lunch with uh, an older priest that's had a big influence on me over the break. And he was, it was just really good. Like, we had talked, um, I was just kind of asking him his advice on, like, how to like, pray through, like, just certain like, priests that have left the priesthood, stuff like that, that, you know, I was, has been, like, a big part of my prayer life the past few months. And and he was just giving me, like, incredible advice. Like, all this wisdom was coming from this guy who's lived this, like, life of love in his priesthood. But he said something. He was like, you know, like, I found that to be a priest, like, the biggest thing that you have to remember is just to be kind to people like, always err on the side of kindness, Mm -hmm. and they will forgive, like, anything, Mm -hmm. and nothing else, like, bothers them. If you're kind to them, and you go out of your way to be kind, literally, they will forgive you for any other shortcoming. So, not that this is a shortcoming at all, Mm -hmm. that, like, the church doesn't let um, Mm non-Catholics receive communion. That's not, I'm not saying it's a shortcoming at all, but I guess... In my mind, like, I wonder if you could apply that logic just to challenge ourselves a little bit. Like, if we really did, like, take it on ourselves to make them feel welcome and, like, even give a short but, like, sincere explanation and even say, like, I'm sorry if this offends you. Like, my experience is that nine out of ten people that, like, I have experienced that have a problem with it Mm -hmm. would be totally fine with it at that point. Which is interesting. No, I agree. Anybody yeah. that's reasonable.
1: I, as a Catholic, would not go into someone else's church or place of worship, no matter what their religion was, if it wasn't mine, and start making demands on them. Yeah. I don't think reasonable people do that, especially if I mean you just take a second to think about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I demand that you adjust your worship to me. When you're a guest, you don't go into somebody's house and say, I don't think that that picture should go there. Uh, I think it should go over here. And you guys are wrong for even inviting me in here. And give me that, I'm going to eat it. <laughs> right. <laughs> can I please just choose my own meal? <laughs> this dinner stinks.
2: But it is. I mean, I, I think that's absolutely true. And that I not only applies for this doctrine, but with the entirety of how we carry ourselves as priests and seminarians and as Catholics in general. I mean, it's like the greatest evangelizing tool that you can possibly have mm-hmm. is... It's hospitality. It's Mm -hmm. I'm going to treat you like a respectful guest that I'm very happy that's here. Mm Right. And people feel loved because it is. It's a gift of love that you're giving to them, um, which, you know, as a guest, they don't necessarily have a right to, but you're going out of your way. And I think when we do that, again, not just with this doctrine, but with our priesthood in its entirety, people were very accepting of that. And that's how this guy was this summer was I was you know, I was generally really kind to him, and we became pretty good friends. Um, because, I, at least in this specific doctrine, what I always put, like, pitted against is the fact that it, it's the real presence of Jesus. Um, and we really believe it's his body and blood. And we look at what were the actions of Jesus. Jesus went and came specifically for the sinner. And even on the podcast, we talk all the time. About how Christ wants to go into that darkest place like he wants that sin that's where he came and died for the forgiveness of that sin mm-hmm. and so it's <clears throat> that's kind of the argument that I always put against uh, the close communion is okay we have the church teachings of like the covenantal relationship and we believe it's the body and blood of Christ but Christ we know in fact did come to be in that darkest place mm-hmm. and we know his grace it works, you know, whether or not that's, we need to be open to it. Yeah. But his grace can affect us in a real way. Um, so that's kind of the, the argument that I formulated in my head. And I honestly, I, I mean, I know that there's obviously good reason, and I'm not doubting the teaching of the church, but that's very strong, you know. Um,
1: a couple of things come to mind for me. One is, like to your point, Rob, there's a lot that we can do with people that aren't right. in full communion. Like I can give them blessings. Yeah. Um, the people in the church, when they see someone who's not uh, Catholic, can be like warm and welcoming and extend a, a hand of friendship to them, and ask them where they're from and you know what brought them here and stuff. But I think what bothers people most is when they come and they just feel like a stranger. No one likes to feel like a stranger. Everybody wants to find a group that they fit into, and when you get put, you, you know, you get pulled out into some other group and everything about the place makes you makes you or reminds you that you don't belong there including this thing where everybody's going up and I don't get to go up that's an ugly feeling you have to you know be understanding of that and another thing well and I think this is it's such a complicated question mortal sin venial <clears> sin <throat> um you know the medicinal purpose of the eucharist rather than like the reward for good behavior idea and right. stuff like but I think just in general the idea that we that certain people don't go to communion or aren't supposed to go to communion is not a judgment on them necessarily and saying you're unworthy of this thing that we need to protect from you, you know. Like that Jesus somehow needs us to protect him because he's come in the form of uh bread and wine and so can't like talk and say I don't want that Brain. person so we have to do it for him like there's that mentality which i think is off but there's also like i'm protecting you from sacrilege basically you don't know what you don't know right about what this means
0: i've heard one priest talk about that with he kind of set up the homily that you know what we say and what we do matters like that has an impact on our lives and other people's lives and so he was he was pitching that hard that, like, what we say matters. You know, if a guy is dating a girl and tells her, like, says the words, I love you, like, that's a big step. That Those words matter. Um, and so he said that, you know, when you say amen, that's a, that's a huge part of that communion line that we sometimes forget about is when they say the body of Christ, you say amen before you receive. So he made the, he kind of went into like, the word amen, and he said that, like, some people will, like, I don't, it wouldn't even be translated, but, like, when you say amen, you're, what you're, in a sense, saying is, I'm willing to stake my life on that. And so, like, when the priest holds up the, the host, and he says the body of Christ, and you say amen, you're saying, I'm willing to stake my life, I'm willing to stake my existence, that that is truly the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So, exactly, like, you know, to help people not commit sacrilege would be very accurate, but it's hard, like, it's hard to to speak about that and not, a, like, not that it, in, in a sense, like, trying to offend anybody, but, like, to get that across, that, like, mm-hmm. this is a very reverent thing, and, like, and for me, kind of, like, maybe a little bit more personal note, like, there's just that desire for them to, like, experience the transformation that the Eucharist yeah. allows um, because it's played such a like, pretty incredible part of my life, whether it's through adoration or just, like, how going, starting to go to daily mass changed changed my life so um, significantly and, and continues to. Like, there's that desire to just tell someone, you know, like, man, just do what you got to do to get this goodness, you know, so
2: it's pretty complex. It is kind of like saying I'm doing this for your own good, and mm-hmm. I I hate hearing that. Mm-hmm. Like, let me make my own decisions. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to restrict my ability to choose something for my own good. Like you're making some intellectual proposition for me, stating mm-hmm. it's for my own good, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> and it's also it's based in scripture, as mm-hmm. Paul does say that we need to deliberate and pray before coming up and receiving the bread. Um, that God has given us. But the question still remains, I mean, it's just kind of pushing the question, like, why does Paul, why does Paul state it? So we do have it. Is there's a scriptural basis to mm-hmm. it. Um, but it is, it's a... Well, it,
1: yes, he says that they eat and drink to their own condemnation.
2: Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you look at the patristics, <clears throat> and they even talked about, like, receiving communion in the state of mortal sin is like, I mean, it's one of the gravest sins that you can commit as... Mm-hmm. at least what I've what I've read from the patristics. So there's there's traditional basis to it. Mm-hmm. But the traditional basis and the scriptural basis is never without logic. So right. I, you know that's obviously what what we're looking for. But that's a Father Mike Schmidt's homily. Okay. It's, it's one of my favorite homilies. I at least he gave one that was very similar to it. Okay. Of, it could have been. I, yeah. I was probably listening to him honestly. Cuz then he was like when you say the creed stand up and like you're really when you say it after I finish this homily. Really say it. And if you don't believe it, don't say it. That's fine. Um, but when you come out to receive communion, you're saying that you would die for the body of Christ, that this mm-hmm. is the true presence. Um, yeah. But even like what you're saying, that's tough to explain to somebody that is on the other side of it, that hasn't received that transformation.
1: Yeah. To your point, Juice, <clears throat> too, I was thinking about this myself. Like it, any, All of this stuff is hard to, to communicate to the uninitiated, those who don't understand. And it's no judgment on them to, or condescension to say, you don't understand the Eucharist. Because mm-hmm. I don't really fully understand it. Exactly. But what I do understand of it has um, totally transformed my life, my direction, mm-hmm. and who I am. Um, I attribute that in large part to the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I were a Protestant, if I'd grown up Protestant and it basically just had the scriptures, I don't know, maybe my path would have looked a lot different. Maybe Jesus would have, um, you know, reached me some other way. Mm-hmm. But I believe so firmly in this that I've staked my whole life on it, as you say. Mm-hmm. Um, giving up wife and family, um, you know, a decent salary, whatever, freedom, all these sort of things, because of the Eucharist. It's not... Because I love going to church so much, right? It's because of what I believe is happening there, you know. And even sometimes it's hard to see, because of my own personal shortcomings or because it's celebrated poorly. Um, but I believe, believe, believe in this. And I was just talking to Megan Miller, and she she's uh, DRE at uh, Parish, and she was walking like some of the second graders or something, like first communion class, through the church and showing them the different stuff and was explaining the tabernacle and how Jesus is in there and the kids, you know, was kind of like shifting around in their heads. Like, okay, what does that mean exactly? Mm -hmm. Like, how can he fit in there? If he's got arms and legs and you know, like the mystery of the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist was, you know, in some ways it's easy for easier for a kid to imagine, um, because they have a better imagination like in, in in a certain sense, that they say, okay, well, yeah, that's Jesus. It looks like bread, but all sorts of, like, that looks like a whatever, but it's actually a unicorn, you know? Or, you know, they play pretend, not that it's pretend, but they have that sort of whimsical thing. And, and in a way, like the fact that Jesus chooses to come to us in forms of bread and wine is in a way whimsical. It's like a, this mm-hmm. this beautiful joke, you know? that the host of the feast is himself the food, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's such rich symbolism as an adult intellect can plumb the depths of it. Um, but just as like this little girl was asking these questions or something, she's like, so she could see like she was getting it, you know, she's like, okay, so Jesus is in there and that's why we genuflect in it. And just as she's telling me the story, I was like, I just found myself really moved to imagine a kid getting it at that age. And what a difference. That will make in a kid's life. And like how much. I want to just tell that kid. Believing what you just said. Changed my life. It saved my life. Mm -hmm. Um, That I could have gone in a million different directions. And and I chose this one. Because I believe what you just said. That Jesus is in there. Mm -hmm. And that's made all the difference. Mm -hmm. Um, And you just pray that. People will get it. And I guess that's why, I mean, it's understandable. We bristle when people come in and they start like a bull in a china shop dem- making demands on us and how we distribute communion. You know, like I am you know, I just saw a thing on the news the other day talking to the, the new bishop about, you know, are, are you going to bar c- politicians from the Eucharist? And it's like, God knows if this journalist is even Catholic, has any idea what that means to us? But to them, it's like this political move, you know, are you going to give your benediction to this pro-choice politician by giving him your secret bread? You know, it's offensive. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, he gives it, he gives his diplomatic answer and everything like that. But um, some ways you have to just throw up your hands and be like, I just can't explain it to you in a soundbite. What you, what you're looking for is something different. This isn't what you think it is, you know? Which is even
0: like apply like relating that back to scripture. Like, what's the response that Jesus gave to John's disciples when they ask him like where he's going? It's mm-hmm. not. It, Jesus never answers anything in sound bites. It's always come and see. Yeah. And it's so it's exactly right. Like, it can't be. Sound bites don't don't do anything but cause trouble in right. reality.
1: Because if he comes down on either side of the issue you know, people are going to be up in arms. Like, no, I'm definitely never going to give them (laughs) communion, those sinners. Oh, who is he to judge? Maybe they're right. Or if he says, oh, everybody's welcome at the table of the Lord, including those who, you know, actively persecute the church in the United States. Uh, There's, understandably, going to be some people that are pretty miffed, you know? So what you have to do is try to, like, in 140 characters, like, tell somebody who doesn't believe (laughs) or doesn't agree with your basic premises is the sacramental worldview that, that material reality can mediate the divine presence. Like why we even care who comes to communion, you know, which is impossible.
0: It's a good thing. You're really good at Twitter.
1: (laughs) I could do it. I'm (laughs) practiced in the art. Yeah. You (laughs) could
2: fit the explanation of the Eucharist in a tweet. There's no doubt about it. Yep. But to this Unitarian minister, like, when push came to shove and I gave my best arguments to it and went into the covenantial explanation that Dr. Han explains so well and how the lamb is kind of the fulfillment of all of that. He was like, look, if it's so incredible and all this stuff, how can you state like transubstantiation that this is absolutely it? And there's kind of no question about it. I said, look, at the end of the day, you know, after the priest consecrates the bread and the wine, he says, the mystery of faith. Like, this is still, even to us, transubstantiation is the best explanation that we can give to whatever the mystery is that's going on there. Mm-hmm. So, even at some point, we throw our hands up and just say thank you. And that's that's about it. Um, so, it's not like we have, we claim to have complete grasp over this infinite mystery of the Eucharist. Um, and that's really the best that I can communicate to it. Like, look, we're just, we're giving our best stab at it. And... Uh, you know, but at the end of the day, it comes down to faith and belief, which is a gift mm-hmm. you know belief in the Eucharist is a gift and that's why I think you know prayer, especially in the lives of people is so essential because as much as you can try to explain you know shove knowledge into their brain, it's ultimately a gift and I mean there's tons of you were telling me a focus story of a guy who was just drawn to the to the church constantly what was it like an exposition or something and said that there was a lot of I mean when I was with focus, and even honestly, since I've been in seminary, there's
0: just it's been a blessing in my life to hear so many conversion stories, whether it be guys that I like worked with individually or just stories that I got to hear, and very consistently, I mean to the point that it'd be like close to a hundred percent, you hear these stories about a some radical, some not so radical conversions to a very real living, like, relationship with Jesus. And always, they'll they'll be talking about some, like, you know, apologetics that they were interested in and got fired up about or, like, this big confession that they had or, like, whatever. But always, at some point in their story, they will say, and then I was in Eucharistic adoration or Mm -hmm. then I was in Mass and I had a moment, like, in front of Jesus in the Eucharist and realized what that meant, and it changed everything. Like, that is, like, the linchpin for so many of these stories. But I think the story you're referring to, I was, it was at the Newman Center in Nebraska one day, and a few of the, the focus missionaries were just hanging out, and this guy uh, came in, and I, I'm pretty sure he was, he was high on something, and he was like, um... He was like, "Yeah, are there is there somebody here I can can talk to?" And we're like, "Yeah, man, come on in. What what's up? You know?" <laughs> and uh, he was like, "Well, I just been, you know, man, I just, I just want to get involved in my faith and <laughs> you know, like I, just, like, <laughs> I just want to get involved in my faith and <laughs> and you know what I'm saying, man." I was like, "Yeah, I do. I think I know what you're saying. I keep talking." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and uh, actually, what was even funnier? A couple of the a couple of the girls. Uh, like were there when he came in, so they were talking to him and they were like, you know, like flag like trying to get a couple of the guys to go and so me and another guy were there, so we ended up talking to him and so anyway, we had this we started this conversation with the guy and um he ended up he, he literally I mean you can't make make this up. His explanation he was like, Yeah, like, you know, I just I walk by this building every day and Uh, I just, there's just, I just feel something, man. I just feel something. I was, I was like, you know, so I just told him, like, that we believe, like, we do have the presence of Christ, like, in, in that chapel, you know, through, and just told him, like, very, like, you know, very basic stuff about the Eucharist at that point. But ended up, like, probably talking to him for an hour or two. Just, uh, I mean, he was into some, like, weird stuff, like, big time, big time drug guy um kind of like the spiritual experience type Mm -hmm. type seeker um Mm -hmm. through the drugs and ended up I mean we ended up uh giving him kind of referring to one of my other teammates on staff who had had um really cool guy named Matt who had had a a long history of um of like drug and alcohol abuse and so had done um like extensive stuff with AA and everything and really like had had a radical conversion himself ended up in the church so he was like mid 30s working as a FOCUS missionary then and he had started a group to reach like the like the farthest lost on campus so literally there was a group meeting in the Newman Center like Wednesday nights um uh, with stories like this guy that came mm-hmm. that came in so it was really cool it was a powerful moment like evangelization just to <clears throat> like be able to kind of like see the progression of, of that particular guy. But what got him in that building was like, I know my life my life is not fulfilling, it's not satisfying what I'm longing for. And I know there's all these other options on this college campus, whether it be Christian or whatever else, of things and organizations that say they will fulfill me, but when I walk by your building, I feel something. I was like, Yeah. I mean that's that's the story. So, <laughs> well, wow. yeah. So what
1: ended up happening? What ended up happening? He ended
0: me. up. I mean, he went to the group. I lost. That was my last year on staff, so I lost contact mm-hmm. with the guy. I honestly don't know. I know he came to at least one or two of those Wednesday night um, groups, and mm-hmm. I know that um, I think the other the other guy on on the team um, like met with him and stuff. So I don't know. I know. The, I do remember at one point him saying. My other teammate saying that, you know, he this this kid was definitely not uh, not sold on, like, giving up the drugs and yeah. the parties and stuff. So so I don't know. Like, I don't know if he kind of fell off a little bit or if he kept coming around mm-hmm.
1: or, or not. I don't know past that. There's that twitch on the string, though.
0: The yeah. Twitch on the, it's on the string.
2: That's right. Twitch upon the thread. That's what I said. Yep. Poetic. But like, that, I mean... You can't convince someone of that. You know, even when he's in the church and you're trying to, like, give the explanation behind it, this is not, like, this is not important. Mm -hmm. It's this total gift and power of the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, it's grace. And we can just pray that people are open to that.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Not with the drugs, though. Yeah. Just <laughs> just the Eucharist without the drugs.
0: No no drugs necessary. <laughs> no we can put that on an advertisement <laughs> <side>. <laughs> No drugs necessary in here. Yep.
2: Um, we should put that on the main chapel next to the no guns <laughs> <laughs> Not that
1: no drugs are allowed, just they're not necessary. Yeah right, and you don't even you don't even need them. This is better, man. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> this is better.